Thank you, Layla. That's one of the passages why most people don't want to preach, especially maybe in America on Independence Weekend, right? Because uh, this country is a great gift, but let's not forget the one who gave it to us to be blessed, right? There's a God in heaven who gave us this country with the liberty he's provided to go and serve and love and ultimately show mercy to all nations. And that's what we're going to get to. So let me pray. I'm behind it a bit, so I'm going to talk fast. Is that okay? Yeah? And then we'll share in the Lord's table because this is about mercy as well. So let me pray. Father, help me and help us. Jesus, come and shine your light brightly upon my American heart, my Western, postmodern, post-Christian American heart. Help me and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a long time. This is Jesus' say it that way. This is Jesus' sixth and final, you've heard it was said statement. You did it five other times. You have heard it was said. Remember literally what that means? Your Bible says this, Old Testament. Let me fulfill it, Matthew 5, 20 and 21, and tell you what my new law is about. That's what he's saying, right? Ashy, upstairs? Pam's upstairs for you. Everyone say bye, Ashy. Bye. bye. So Jesus is saying, the Old Testament saints wrote down the, 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 the best they could, but God's full revelation, me, is giving you a new way. That's what he's saying. That's hard because we grow up with covenant theology and reform theology and liberal theology and conservative theology, but Jesus' theology is best. This is what he's saying. And he says, you can just put 43 up, Kim. This is the crux of all your faith if you're a Christian, right here. That is the Mount Everest of the Christian faith. Jesus says, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Next verse, and here it is. 43 is about us, human beings. All of us are susceptible, right? If we really look inside of our hearts. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We read that, oh, we got enemies. I don't want to talk about America. I want to talk about you. That's where the sermon gets real, right? I know there's geopolitical enemies all over the globe. Don't go there yet. Go to your heart, if you dare, on Independence Weekend, right? Through this 11, 12 weeks so far, we have to see this before we go on. Jesus would be saying to us, people who are trying to walk in the kingdom and pursue him, I know you don't have hostility to others, but in Jesus' minds, enemies is those who have hostility towards you. So Jesus takes it even deeper, right? Dave Johnson this is not about you and Dodger fans. We'll pray for him. This is about people who have hostility towards you, Dave. Love them. Now, the hard part is I can try and walk upright and just and do all the right things according to my Savior to not retaliate, to turn the other cheek, to 
do my best not to lust after people, to do all the things he's commanded in his word, and I still might have people who are hostile towards me because it's their issue, right? And Jesus says, love them. Pray for them. So that's the first thing we need to understand. Those two verses, 43 and 44 of Matthew 5, are the linchpin of our faith. If that falls apart, it doesn't matter, folks, what we do. It doesn't matter what we believe. That cross, which is a relic or something that we remember what happened for us, God's people, is Matthew 5, 43, and 44, lived out maybe 19 months or 20 months after this was preached, give or take your timeline. I don't have time to get deep into it, but you know that passage here? Sun and rain falling on the just and unjust are good and evil. There's three people who are ultimately good in the universe. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The rest of us were not good like them, and the curve goes like this, right? <laughs> the point Jesus is making is, your Father in heaven is good, look around. <laughs> this place is still here, and he brings provision to those who are pursuing his kingdom and walking in grace and to those who aren't. But back to this, Matthew 5, 43 and 44. If you have time this week, go read Romans 5, verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. It says, the cross of Christ was given for his enemies. God in grace loved those who opposed him, died for those who opposed him, gave mercy for those who opposed him, really prayed on the cross in some ways when Jesus was proclaiming, I know I wasn't the robber, I know I wasn't the Romans, but he prayed for people who were at enmity with him and said, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what's going on. Love them. Now, what happens, as John was sharing, we don't know what God does with human hearts, but we are to love all people. We are to put in action what was done on the cross. Jesus taught that two years before. This is a big deal. I shared something like this with some of our men in our breakfast yesterday. If you ask an atheist and a Christian the same question, you will get different responses. You should. This is a gross generalization. Forgive me if I'm misrepresenting either. I'm sorry. It's just a sermon, right? We're going to eat soon. Hey, atheist or agnostic, hey, person, what did Jesus teach? And usually quickly in that conversation, if you haven't had them, do so. It's enlightening. Humbling, you'll probably go read your Bible and find out more of what you think you're supposed to know. That's what happened. I was in class as a 19-year-old, and the atheistic philosophy professor knew the Bible better than me. I had a problem, so I went back to the Bible. It actually spurred me on. Hey, atheist or someone who rejects Christianity, what did Jesus teach? Well, you might get a, if you, if you talk to someone snarky, they will say Jesus didn't exist, and then you can go, okay, fine, but Usually what comes out is somewhere early on, Jesus taught to love all people and to pray for people who oppose you. And that's enlightening, because he did, right? But then sometimes when we ask the church family, the Christians, that is much farther down on the list, right? Let's talk about worship, or let's talk about 
systematic theology or let's talk about mission and all those are good. And then we'll get down there. Oh yeah, he said something about loving people and praying for those who are against us, oppose us. And my point and Jesus' point is this is the kingdom of God. Mercy is offered. Grace is offered. And he is saying, you have heard it was said, neighbor, get along with, hate those who you don't get along with. What is the Old Testament kind of code really about? Love those who are like you. She's kind of like me. We live together, so I love her, right? That's my wife. But let's look at that. Love those who have the same skin color like you. We only have to go back 60 years in our country when it was really bad, but if you go to certain parts, race relation is still really bad, right? Love those who are the same sex as you. Gentlemen, we're outnumbered, 51% to 49. But we're arrogant enough to think we're all that matters. Love those who only believe like you. That doesn't work because even Christians don't. Four or five essentials we believe, but there's a lot of debate sometimes, right? Love those who make the same amount of money as you. A lot of our country's going through that because it seems that some people do that and our economy is based on that. I'm not an economic major, but I see the times, right? But Jesus says, no more. No more you versus them versus us versus them. How did Jesus ride in Jerusalem? On a war horse or a donkey? And on the donkey, what did he shout? No more bloodshed. I'll go shed my blood, but no more. So in this, Jesus is putting on a pedestal what the kingdom is truly about, God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And then he says, if you want to pursue me, go and be like your father. That's the next part. A couple more verses. Here we go. We got through the rain and the sun. Go to 46, maybe. 46? 47, sorry. It's actually 48 I studied. 48. Sorry, it's 47. I didn't study hard enough. It's hard enough. And if you greet your only brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? A little slap to the Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. I'm not that offended, right? The point is, if you only treat people well to get something who are like you, what's the point? Next verse, Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a hard one because there's a few verses in the Bible where cult-like mentality is taken. This is one of them. And one of the things people with bad theology and wicked motives do is they point to this and say, you're not perfect, so guess what? God doesn't love you. And what they're getting at is if you sin once or twice or if you knowingly sin and do the sin again, you're banished from heaven, therefore this, and they manipulate. That's not what this verse means. But there is a beautiful picture of how God wants us to live inside this verse. Had a discussion with some guys yesterday. The Sermon on the Mount is tricky because usually with the Bible, we can interpret certain scriptures with other parts of the Bible. That's good hermeneutic. It's good study. You want to do that. You want to look at the scripture. You don't want to go to car and driver. You want to go back to the other scriptures, right? You don't want to go to Wikipedia. It can be dangerous. You want to go back to the other scriptures. The Sermon on the Mount is tricky because it stands alone. But I didn't know this until recently. Jesus probably preached this sermon as many as 10 different times. It was his 
go-to. It was his elevator speech. It was his soapbox speech, right? He would preach it over and over because there was no internet, there was no email, there was no television cameras, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook. He had to go and teach. So Luke chapter 6, I think I sent that to Kim, Luke chapter 6. Luke hears probably this sermon many times in many different ways from different accounts. And this is how he records it, right? Luke 6, verse 27. I'm just going to read, so hang with me. Jesus speaking, Luke writing. But I say to you who, lo- who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Luke 6, 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Sounds like the same sermon, right? On a different occasion. And the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Give all. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Let's go to the farmer's market later. Let's see what happens. The sheriffs will be here. We get that, right? Verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. That's the golden rule. We'll be there in Matthew 7. So Luke is on to something. Luke 6.32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? It's actually good, but he's being rhetorical here, Jesus. For even sinners love who love them, verse 33, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit it is to you? For even sinners do the same, verse 34, Luke 6, and if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. And here we go. Verse 35 in Luke 6. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Russ, I need 20 bucks. He's smirking at me. And your reward will be great. So there's something going on here. There's a motivation in loving enemies. How can I just sit up here and say, love your enemies because Jesus said so? No, there's Something behind it, and hear this as we close. There is a great reward in doing this. What is the reward? The rest of the verse. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the what? And evil. If my Father in heaven, who is good and right and just, and loving, and is put, in, put up with so much for me, is kind to the unjust and evil, how dare I withhold mercy from anyone? That sinks in, right? God is good, folks. He is generous. He is long-suffering. He is kind. He ultimately, in his way, will make everything right. But what do we say? Those calls and those attitudes are above our what? Pay grades. I can't do it. And it's not good for me because my reward will be kaput compared to if I live according to his law, the Jesus way, the gospel. And here is the perfect clause of Matthew 5. Verse 36, Kim. It appears in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is exhorting us to be perfect in our mercy as our heavenly father is perfect in his mercy. I can do that. You can do that. 
You can strive to be perfect in giving mercy. You can't save yourself. So don't go back to the other one and go, I must be perfect to gain salvation. This isn't about salvation. This is about today and tomorrow. Walking with Jesus. So hear that, because I don't want you to get confused and I want to lead a cult. You being perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect is a good thing. Be perfect in giving mercy just as he is perfect in giving mercy. You can give mercy at our barbecue. I wanted that hot dog. I'm not going to chop his hand off. I'm going to say, bless you, brother. You probably need it more than me. On the holiday tomorrow, we can be perfect in mercy when people have different opinions and different thoughts and different attitudes, we want to be ones who walk with peace. We want to be a blessing. We want to show mercy. This table behind me is about mercy. Do we understand that? The Lord's table communion, celebrating and taking communion, is about mercy. Is about withholding God and grace. My just wages for my sins and transgression, God said, in mercy, I'm going to love him. I'm going to put my son up for him. I'm going to give Dave and all my people, this isn't about Dave, this is about Christians and God's family, I'm going to give them mercy and grace. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to change their heart. And then all I'm going to ask them to do is not be perfect and work out their salvation so they can go, I'm perfect, I'm saved, they're evil is I'm going to ask them over time and in obedience to my son's teaching to perfect their mercy here on earth, to be agents of mercy. Jesus Christ was the captain of mercy, not Captain America, right? I hate to say that. I love our country. But he was the captain in mercy. He is asking his people to line up not in a violent army, but in an army to bestow mercy and grace and be salt and what? Light. Jeff's going to come up. We're going to have one more song. Both elements are going to go forth. Please take and worship the Lord. This is based on mercy. If we take it the full way, our party, based on a historic event in 1776, is based on mercy, God's goodness. The fellowship we get to have is based on grace and mercy that our God loves us, that we're here and now. We don't have to worry about tomorrow or next year or November. We'll pray for that, right, in this country? but it's about mercy. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this great country. As leaders gather and decide and, and often many ways manipulate on both sides, give wisdom and give us grace and give us mercy as a nation. And then as your church, people who claim the name of Jesus, faith in him, Let us become better and more effective in showing mercy and love and compassion when called upon, and that's daily. Let us live in love like you've loved through Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice, and thank you for unwavering mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.